Pastor Harvey here. We're uh, going to get into God's Word. If you're joining us online and you're kind of looking for a church or you're looking into all souls, uh, we would love to have you come join us on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. here in Burbank. Uh, we worship together, take the Lord's Supper together, we sing. Uh, and then we also got various things going on throughout the month uh, as far as uh, like catechism and lunches and things like that. Uh, so we'd love to have you come and visit us sometime. We are today in our final sermon in the series Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we're moving all the way through the book of Genesis, but we've divided the book of Genesis into three parts. And this is the second part. So next week we'll be moving into the final part of the book of Genesis in a series we entitled Joseph and Jesus. The rest of the book of Genesis focuses in on, on Joseph's life. Today we kind of wrap up Jacob's life. We'll see Jacob later in the story as well. But uh, as far as the focus on his life, uh, this, is, this is kind of the, the last part of that. And it's a beautiful part of that as well. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and read God's Word. And then we'll pray and we'll get into it. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 35, verse 1 through 7. God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, <clears throat> a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. And the people, and all the people were with him. And there <clears throat> he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, come uh, and send your Holy Spirit to glorify the Lord Jesus. Uh, give us insight into your covenant with us, your grace towards us, your love towards us, and the fact that you're with us in life and in death. Uh, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see and soften our hearts that we might receive your word and be transformed by it. Lord, I pray uh, that all of us would come out the other side of this study in the text with more faith in you, more trust in you, and more blessing from you. So we pray all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> well. A lot of people don't know that the pastor's job is to prepare you for death. It's to prepare you for death. I mean, that's really, at the end of the day, what my job is. Now, also, the way that I prepare you for death is to teach you about life. So, uh, and of course, I'm not just giving my own opinions. We're looking into what the scriptures say. And this is why pastors should devote themselves to, in their life, to studying the Word of God, the ins and outs of it, to know it backward and forward, to studying theology, what other people throughout church history have said about the text, so that the pastor can equip you so that you can grow in grace 
And so you could be ready to live, but also ready to die. Um, specifically, uh, what, what I need to do as a pastor is I, I need to show you how life can find its true meaning in the one that God sends. A lot of us are trying to find our meaning in life, and what the scriptures tell us is that we find our true meaning in life through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom God sends. And what we see in some of these stories is that the story of Jesus goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It actually goes all the way back to Adam and Eve when the first promise of Jesus had come. But that promise to Adam and Eve was given and then picked up again through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob according to God's initiation. And so I, my, my goal, my job is to teach you how to live so that you are ready to die. The reason why, and, and then really this is what when we talk about how to live and how to die, is to understand this that we are made for God. Uh, we are here for God. We exist for God. Life is meaningless without God. And so many people are trying to figure out what their life should be and what is the meaning of their life. Well, the scriptures teach us that God is the meaning of life, that when we find Him and we walk with Him, we discover what He has for us. We also discover that God is good, that God is true, that God is patient, that God is love, that God is merciful and gracious. And so when we understand who God is, it teaches us how to live, but it also prepares us to know how to die. Uh, when God's story, you know, the story He is telling, intersects with our story, so we're all living a story, but then our story intersects with His story, we find that the whole story tells us that God is with us. And this is the beauty. When your story intersects with God's story, you understand that God is with you. He's with you to bless you. He's with you to care for you. He's with you to love you. He's with you to walk with you and teach you in His ways. In the end, we find we're not holding on to God, but He's been holding on to us. So, here's the main point for today. God is with us in life and death. God is with us in life and death. We're going to see this through the final story of Jacob. Uh, you know, when you're reading the Bible, reading the Psalms, you're going to see uh, that oftentimes God, the God we worship is called the God of Jacob. And what we've seen in Jacob's life is he, he's had the ups and downs. He's been a deceiver. He's deceived others. He's been deceived. He's gone through all kinds of trials. He, he has these encounters with God where God comes to him, not because he deserves it, but because God is gracious and God has made his plan to come through Jacob. And so we see all of these movements of God towards Jacob, even though Jacob is not always moving toward God himself. And what we saw last week was a time where he, he stopped short of where God was calling him to go. He stayed in Shechem rather than going to Bethel where God was calling him to go. And in Shechem, disaster happened. He came to the end of himself. And after this disaster happens and he's been disobedient to God, God shows up with grace. It's, it's an unbelievable story that we're picking up today. As you've been tracking with Jacob's life, the deceiver, not always faithful to God, but God keeps coming to him with grace. And this is what God does with us. 
in our ups and downs and our failures and our strengths and our weaknesses, God keeps coming to us with grace. It's an astounding thought. All right, so let's pick up in chapter 35, verse 1. <clears throat> God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Okay, so the, here's the first instruction from God. Go to Bethel. He, he should have gone to Bethel already, already, but God shows up again after all the trial, after all the pain that he's been through, and says, okay, are you done with yourself now? Now go to Bethel. And, and he says, when you go to Bethel, I want you to dwell there. Now the reason why is because Bethel, uh, the word Bethel means house of God. And this is the place where Jacob had encountered God. And now God is saying, come back to that place where I encountered you. And God might be saying that to you as well. Come back to those places where you encounter me. Come to the house of God. Now, of course, for us, the house of God is the church. Um, not specifically the building, but the church of Jesus. And God is calling us to be in the church, in the house of God. And so now, Jacob, who has been wandering and not been part of the house of God, not where he was supposed to be, is now called by God to go to the house of God. And God doesn't show up and go, Hey, Jacob, you've been an idiot. You've been bad. I'm really disappointed in you. Why can't you get your act together? Jacob already knew all of this. Instead, God just shows up and says, Okay, arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. And then God says this, When you go there, make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Remember, God, we had seen in the story that God appeared to him on a couple of different occasions. And one appearance to him was this powerful appearance where God reveals that he would come down to bring salvation to the world. And so he says, go back to that place where you met with me. And, um, and build an altar, he says. The reason why, and we've been seeing this through the book of Genesis, that God's people are always called to worship him through his sacrifice. In other words, there's always this picture of like that, that God is holy and we are broken and that we need a sacrifice of atonement to be able to go to him. And so in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals as a picture of the, that God was going to have to make a sacrifice in order to save them. So they were worshiping God through a sacrifice, knowing that they weren't worthy of his grace. They weren't worthy of his love, but he was giving it anyway. And so the picture of the sacrifice is the picture of God's sacrificial love given to us, prefigured in the sacrifice of the animals, but ultimately satisfied and pictured in the death of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate sacrifice. So God is gracious, appears to him and gives him this instruction. And then, <clears throat> uh, so Jacob goes to his household, verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Now here, this tells you a lot. That Jacob, we've been seeing, has been passive in his leadership uh, of the family. He was supposed to be kind of like the senior pastor of this big, large family that was also had other people that had joined them. And he had just been kind of passive. He hadn't been leading them to God. He hadn't been teaching them about God's ways. And he himself was a little bit lukewarm in his faith. But now God has come to him with grace again after all this failure. And he says, okay, I know who this God is. This God is good and merciful. And this God is with me and wants to bless me even though I have not always blessed him. 
And so you can see that there's household gods. There's all these people that are worshiping these false gods that are living inside of Jacob's uh, family and household and tribe. And Jacob finally steps up and leads. According to God's strengthening, says, I'm calling you to do this. Jacob says, okay, I'm going to lead. And he says, <clears throat> get, get rid of the idols, cast away your idols, and uh, cleanse your garments. The picture here is we're going to go meet with God. And so uh, we need to repent. And what we see here is that God's kindness leads us to repentance. That, that Jacob comes to repentance because of God's kindness. And then Jacob extends that repentance to the rest of the family because of God's kindness. kindness. Look at verse 3. Let us arise and go up to Bethel <clears throat> so that I may take there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So he says, this is the God who has been with me in the day of my distress. Each time I came to distress, uh, when I was when I didn't know what would happen when I came to see my brother and I thought he was going to kill me, God came through. When I massively failed by going to Shechem, God has still come to me in the midst of my distress and my failure. And he has been with me wherever I've gone. Now listen, this is also true for you. All the promises that are made to Jacob, the picture is that the promises are extended to us. The promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are a picture that these promises are extended to me and you. So anything that is true of the promises that God gives to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are also true of us, that he is the one who's with us in our distress. Are you distressed? He's with you. He's there. But he's also with you wherever you have gone. And for Jacob, this means sometimes he obeyed God and where he was supposed to go, and sometimes he didn't. But God was with him even when Jacob wasn't with God. That God was faithful to him even when Jacob was not faithful to God. That God was holding him even when Jacob was not holding on to God. And this is the beautiful picture of God's grace, that God is with us in our life. He is with us in death. He's with us when we're not even paying attention to him. He's with us. It's astounding to think about that. And He is for us. See, if you believed in Jesus Christ, He is for you. He wants to bless you. And so, <clears throat> verse 4, They gave Jake, to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. What about you? What idols do you need to give up? What things are more primary in your life than God? Where are your priorities at? Is God at the very top of the list? Not only just with your, you know, what you say, but how you think, how you love, what you do, what you do with your time, what you do with your money, what you do with your relationships. Is God primary? If He's not, that means you have some idols. And, and to come and approach God, God invites you to come and approach Him, but He wants you to throw down your idols. He wants you to bury your idols under the terebinth tree, never to return to them again. What are your idols? What is primary to you that is not of God? <clears throat> well, we see here that God calls them to give up their idols, to change their garment, and the reason why is because they're about to go meet God in worship. Look at verse 5. 
And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So now they have to make this journey. And one of the things that Jacob was always worried about, one of the reasons he stayed in Shechem, is he was afraid of being attacked. And he wanted to form an alliance to protect himself. He wasn't trusting God to protect him. But here we see now that as he walks in obedience, God protects him. And God sends a fear of the people in the other cities so that they leave the children of Israel alone. They allow them to travel. God puts his protection around them as they travel. And God gets them to the place that they're supposed to go. And he does this by working in the hearts of the enemies of God's people. I want you to see that, that God is with you in that way. That God is protecting you in a hundred ways that you couldn't possibly even know. And yet he is there with you in your life and in your death. All right, now let's look at uh, verse 6. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and all the people that were with him. He has arrived at the place that God had been calling him all along. Look at verse 7. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed him himself to him when he fled from his brother. So I want you to see this. He calls this place El Bethel, the, the place of the God of Israel, the place of my God that he has come to worship. He built an altar there. Just as God had commanded him in verse 1, the first thing he does is he builds this altar. And what's an altar for? You build an altar so that you can make a sacrifice on top of the altar. And the picture is that, that you need to come to God through a sacrifice because of brokenness. That God will come to you through a sacrifice because we are broken. And so they make this sacrifice as a sign of their repentance. We have had false gods. We have not walked in clean ways. We have compromised what you've called us to do. And they fall down in worship. And the beauty of holiness, see, holiness is when you turn away from what God does not have for you and turn to Him. And when you turn to Him, there is forgiveness, tons of forgiveness. And it is His forgiveness that changes you and makes you holy. It's not your efforts. It's not your ability to hold on to God, but it's God's holding on to you that ends up transforming you at the end of the day. Think of Jacob's story, his ups and downs, his rebellions. And God kept holding on to him, holding on to him, holding on to him, until finally he came to repentance. And now he's willing to walk with God and he's willing to lead his family. So he builds an altar, makes a sacrifice of repentance, and he says, because here God revealed himself to me. See, this is the only way we can know God, is if God reveals himself. Now, we know that God has revealed himself in all creation, but primarily he's revealed himself in his word, the scripture, and then the word of God, Jesus. So when, we, when God reveals himself, he reveals himself in his word, and we are to live under his word and to listen. So the idea is this, that the Bible is over us. We're never over the Bible. The, the word is over us. We're never over the word. And when we respond to the word, as Jacob is now beginning to do, we have all of God's blessings coming to us as we respond to uh, the word. Now look at verse, verse 9. Look at these promises that God makes to Jacob. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padamaran and blessed him. Now this whole idea of blessing, 
Uh, it can mean so many things, but God appears to him. And what does he do? He, does he go, Jacob, it's about time. It's about time you got things. No, he just appears to him and says, I bless you, Jacob. My blessing is upon you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to fulfill all my promises to you. I'm going to provide everything that you need. And there's going to be heartache and there's going to be trouble, but I am here. I am with you. I am here to bless you. So here are some of the blessings. And these blessings come through God's promises to Jacob. And as we look at God's promises to Jacob, I want you to remember, these are also God's promises to you because you are a son or daughter of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because you believe in the one that God promised to them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so look at this. <clears throat> Verse 10. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob, which means deceiver. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And we saw this a few weeks ago when God wrestled with Jacob. And he says, your name's not going to be deceiver anymore. Your identity used to be deceiver. Now your identity is going to be Israel. Israel means he who wrestles with God. He who walks with God. He who struggles with God. And this is, this is why your life and your walk with God feels like a struggle. Because to live in a fallen world and to be devoted to a God who is not fallen will feel like a struggle. So you will always have that bit of a wrestle going on within you as long as uh, we're in the flesh until Jesus returns. There's a wrestle. But listen, I want you to also see this. That God changed his name because he wanted Jacob to see he had a new identity. That his identity was not in his failures or his sins or who he used to be, his greed. And now his identity is in God. And see, this is what this is the purpose of it all. This is what makes you ready for death. This was what makes you ready to live, is that you find your identity not in what you do, not in what you look like, not in what you have done, not how much money you have, not what job you have, not what status you have. None of those things give you an identity more. Those are identities of the old self. But that you have been made new. God has given you a new name. In the book of Revelation, we're told that each of us receives a new name as we come into the new heavens and the new earth. Our identity has been changed by God. So God's first promise to Jacob and to you is that I will change your identity. You're not your failures. You are who you are because of me, my grace, my love, my walking with you is what makes you who you are, not you. Not anything you ever have done, not anything you ever will do gives you your identity in God's sight. But God gives you an identity as a son or a daughter of His because you're part of His promise. So that's the first promise, that He will change our identity and make us new. The second promise, verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. I love when God just shows up and says that. Don't forget who I am. I am almighty. All power belongs to me. All knowledge belongs to me. I hold the universe together by the word of my power. My power. I am God almighty, he says. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. So he says, look, a nation's going to come from you. This is the nation of Israel. But also a company of nations are going to come from you. What's he talking about there? 
He's talking about the time after Jesus comes when the gospel starts going to all the world. And many people from many nations come to God. Not just the people of Israel, but people all over the world. People in Africa and South America and Canada and the United States and Mexico and uh different parts of Europe and Russia and China, you name it, people all around the world go, are believers in Christ going back to this promise from God. So God gave the promise to Jacob, but also gave the promise to us to see his glory move throughout the world. This is the promise of God. And so we can be secure that eventually the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of God, that God will override the evil and he will bring redemption to this world finally. So that's the second promise. <clears throat> and then he says, uh, a kings shall come from your own body. Another promise he gives that from him, and we'll see this at, at the end of the sermon, will come the ones who will bring about the kings that will bring about the king. So that's another promise. Verse 12 is the third promise. In the land that I give Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So God says, I've given, given the land to Abraham and Isaac. Jacob, I am now giving this land to you, which is the land in the Middle East that people currently right now are fighting over. And then he says this, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Now, in one sense, we could talk about the offspring as being the Jewish people. But the Apostle Paul gives us a little more uh, insight into what this offspring means. He says this in Galatians 3.16. The Apostle Paul says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So in other words, that land in the Middle East that people are fighting over currently right now as we speak, is Jesus's. People are saying, well, it's our land, it's our land. No, according to this, the land belongs to Jesus. It is his land. Now, the whole earth will eventually be Jesus's. But according to what God tells Jacob here, the land belongs to Jesus. I wonder how that will make us think about the current things that are going on. That the land belongs to Jesus. Well, so here are the promises that he makes. And in verse 13, it says, God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. Okay? And what, is, what does Jacob do in light of all these promises that God has given him? It says, Jacob, uh, verse 14, Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of that place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. So remember, he had built an altar. Now he builds a... Uh, a pillar, it says. And this pillar would be like a monument. Or, as is one song we sing, this pillar would be called an Ebenezer. It's a monument that you raise to remember what God has done. And that every time you pass it, you go, remember what God did there? In one sense, uh, this church building that we worship in, it, this church building is not the church. The people are the church. But this church building is a monument to faith. It's a monument to the faith of the people who planted this church in the late 1940s, who moved the church to this location in the 1950s, who erected three buildings on this property. And there's been a testimony for Jesus at this property for nearly 75 years. People have been preaching the gospel on this property because God raised up this monument through his people, this particular building. 
So that would be kind of like what Jacob did here. There was a monument. In my own life, I have a few things. <clears throat> they're not monuments, but they're things that remind me of the goodness and promises of God. I want to show you a few. First one is this nail. One of the first time I preached at uh, one of the first church I worked at. Um, I think I was preaching on like a Good Friday or something like that. And we had some like, uh, you know, creative elements to kind of help people understand the story. And they had these big nails. And I realized this is, uh, you know, as I did a little research, this is probably the size of the nail that went through Jesus' hands and feet. And something tactile just about holding on to this and thinking about that reminded me of the grace of Jesus and the power of his gospel and what he actually did physically for us. Another one that I have is this, this stick. <laughs> I found it in Yosemite Valley. And if uh, you probably can't see it, but there's all these little etchings that come from water and leaves, and it's just beautiful. And this was a time in which I was going through a lot personally. And I was in Yosemite, and God revealed to me that one of the ways that I will be refreshed by him is in his creation, among the beauty of his creation. And so even though, you know, you're not supposed to pick up anything from Yosemite Valley floor, I picked this up, hopefully God's okay with it, and I kept it to remember God's beauty and that He refreshes me in His presence, in the beauty of His creation. I got two more. This one uh, is, is the cup I took communion with uh, in Jerusalem, right outside of the place where Jesus' tomb was, or at least the place they think Jesus' tomb was. I remember taking communion in that place and looking over at Golgotha, which is now a bus station, and just thinking of the power of the gospel that happened in this real place. Now it's a little bit chewed up. My dog got a hold of it. Uh, but still, it's a reminder to me of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Final one. After I moved down here to L.A., I was at Point Magoo, and it was a particularly rough time in our church before we transitioned the church to become All Souls Church, and we'd gone through a lot, and I was asking God to reveal His will to me if I was supposed to stay here and preach the gospel, and I asked Him to open and shut doors based on His purpose. So Point Magoo is outside of Malibu there, and I was just standing there, and I picked this up off the ground, and I began to hold it and pray and think, and I decided to just keep it to remind me that God did call me here to Burbank, that God has opened all the doors. So with that, I, I want you to think about your faith that way too, that God has worked and God has promised and God has been there. Don't forget, have the monuments at least in your mind if you don't have them in your house. But even every time you come to this building, remember this is a monument to the faith of generations of people. It's a monument to our faith as well in the middle of the city. All right, so... Now let's take a look at how God is with us in death. Verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they came some distance from Ephrathah, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrathah, that is Bethlehem. Isn't it interesting that Rachel dies giving birth to a child in Bethlehem? And that many years later a child would come to Bethlehem to rule the world, to save the world. 
But I want you to see something here. Rachel died in faith. Rachel died as she walked with her husband, who was a man of faith, Jacob. And she died giving birth, which is what one of her callings was to do, to bring the 12 tribes of Israel to fruition. She, she died doing the very thing that God had called her to do. She died in birth. But imagine now Jacob. Uh, Jacob has, has already uh, faced the death of the servant sent from his mom. We don't really know when his mom died, but we know that a servant was sent to him. And that was in the last chapter that this servant was sent to him to kind of be there for him. This, this servant had been there all of his life and she died. Now his wife dies. But, but here's the thing. They, Jacob knows that God is holding his wife in faith and that he's with her in her death. And he's with her through the death. And he's with Jacob as he mourns her death. See, God is with us not only in our life, but all the way to death. The question is, are we prepared to die? Rachel didn't know she was going to die. She just thought she was going to give birth. And she died on that day. But God was with her. And she died in faith and was received into the presence of God. So we see that God is with him in life, but also in his wife's death. The other thing that he does is he raises a monument for her. And he says, this has been my beautiful wife, my lovely wife, who I fell in love with all those years ago. And so he honors her by raising a pillar, a monument to her faith, a monument to her because she is one of the ones that brings about the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, but also a monument to her because of the romance that they had between each other, that God gave her this gift of grace to Jacob, and he loved her all of his life. I imagine he was crushed at this time. And the reason why they had left, and they were traveling down from Bethel, and they went through Bethlehem, and she died there, is because they were on the way to see Jacob's father Isaac. Isaac was 180 years old and was on his deathbed and was moving towards death and they wanted to go and see him. And this also brings God's promise to fruition that God had promised that he would eventually return to his family. So look at verse 27. And Jacob came to his father Isaac in Mamre in Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, where either Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last and he died and he was gathered to his people old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. I love this. God was with Isaac. Remember Isaac? We just studied him recently. What's interesting is there's so much emphasis put on Abraham, and then just a couple little stories about Isaac, and then all these stories about Jacob. It's kind of like Isaac is the linchpin of the whole thing. You remember he was going to be sacrificed by Abraham, and God intervened. And, and then he's the one that brings about Jacob, who will bring about the 12 tribes. So he's a little bit hidden. He's a little bit behind the scenes. But look at this. He dies in faith. He dies trusting in God. He dies with courage, knowing that he will be received by God. And it says that he was gathered to his people. This is all those people that, that believed in God before him and trusted God before him. He would go and be with his father, Abraham. And he would be with his mother, Sarah. And he would be with others that God had gathered together as well. And so Isaac dies in faith. And you can imagine where Jacob is at at this time. He's had this amazing victory and reconnection with God. And then his uh, kind of surrogate mother dies. His wife dies. And his dad dies. 
but he does not lose his faith because he knows that God has been with him in life and that God has been with these folks in death. As his dad dies, it seems to indicate that his dad died with great faith, knowing he was going into the presence of God. And Jacob was able to witness this as well. <clears throat> well, what do we see in all this? We see that God is with us in life and death. And what we also see in this is so many pointers to Jesus Christ. Uh, we see the offspring promise, the, the, the promise that the land would be Jesus's. We see that uh, uh, Rebecca, or sorry, Rachel dies in Bethlehem and brings about a child. And later there would be a child who would come to Bethlehem. But we also see here the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to see this. In verse 26, the sons of Zilbah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher, these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him at Padan Aram. So we see Gad and Asher, the tribes of Israel that come from that. And verse 25, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali. So the tribes of Dan and Naphtali come from her. And then the sons of Rachel, Benjamin, who we just saw as he was born as she died, and Joseph, who we're about to study for the next several weeks. Um, and, and Joseph actually becomes the son of uh, the, the head of the family, the son of the promise, the one who things are handed down to because of the rebellion of Reuben, which we'll see eventually as well. Now, look at verse 23. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, skip that one, Issachar, and Zebulun. So more of the tribes of Israel. But now I want to look at the one that I skipped, Judah. What is this telling us? Well, first of all, it's telling us that this, this line that went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob has now split into 12 lines, 12 tribes. And that out of those 12 tribes, one tribe would be the tribe of the kings. And that's Judah. In Genesis 49, Jacob is on his deathbed and he says, Oh, it's you, Judah. Through you will come the kings. And through you will come not only all the kings of Israel, but through you will come the King of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. My main point today was if God is, that God is with us in life and death. Well, Jesus is the God who is with us in life and death. He is Emmanuel, which, is, which means God with us. He is with us now. And the proof of the fact that He was with us is that He came... Uh, we, he came through a sacrifice, and we come to Him through His sacrifice. He came and became the sacrifice, and we come through that sacrifice to Him. He, he was uh, God become human, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, showed love to the world, died nobly as the great sacrifice on the altar. He died on the altar of the cross, and He rose again. This... Jesus is the point of all this story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they all leads to him. So what will we do as we meet Jesus? Well, let us do what they did. Let us cast down our idols, anything that we make more primary than him. Let us put on our new name, Israel, that we're not who we used to be, that we are new now. We, we put off what is old and we put on the newness of God's love and the gospel through the Holy Spirit. Uh, we put on new garments, 
not actually physically, but the picture is that we take off our old garments of our own identity and we put on the garments of Jesus' perfect righteousness. And we trust Him. Do you trust Him? He has been with you through your life. He will be with you in your death. Trust Him. The whole point of this is so that we will know and trust Him that He will bring His salvation. And that His salvation comes to us by grace. That we don't earn it or deserve it. He gives it to us by grace through the sacrifice on the cross. When Jesus was hanging there on the cross, He was doing that as the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through Judah, through all the kings, through his perfect life, death, and resurrection, we are brought to God. And he is with us through, the, through his life and through his death. And so in our life, we can trust him. And in our death, we can face death with courage, knowing that he went through death and rose again. And that we too, because we belong to him, will go through death and rise again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for being with us in our life and even our death. May each one of us have a perspective of living in light of who you are and what you've done, but also being ready to face death with courage because you will be on the other side. So we pray all these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace.